started this morning, we're back to discussing the names of God. And I'm not going to deal so much with a name today as I want to get into a little bit why we can trust God, what we see in him. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, and we're going to be looking down through Exodus chapter 3, verse 23 in Exodus 2 down to chapter 5, or verse probably about 12 or 13 in Exodus chapter 3 as we get into it today. And then next week we're going to come back and look at where uh, Moses comes to, uh, to God. God's come to Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to go and, and bring my children out of Egypt. They, they're in bondage there. And Moses says, who should I tell them? Uh, has told me that. What should we call you? What's your name? And, uh, of course, we know the, the story of how he gives the, the name I am that I am. I am who I am. And we'll talk a little more about what that means more next week than this week. I really plan to get into it a little more next week. But I want us to look at this whole idea of, of who he is. And I want you to realize, we talked about the designations of God last week, that he is a strong God. We talked about uh, the idea of Adonai. They call him Lord, which is Master. And Lord, that he is sovereign, he's in control of all things. And as we get into this one, uh, we use that term Yahweh. Uh, we really don't know how it's pronounced. Uh, we don't, the vowel points aren't there. All we have are the letters that are there. They're translated into the English letters Y-H-W-H. And uh, years ago, they weren't sure how to pronounce it because you see the, the Hebrews held God in such high esteem that they wouldn't pronounce the name of God. And they didn't have the full pronunciation there. They didn't have the vowel points there. And so, you know, as people kept trying to figure out, well, how do we say this? They added the vowel points from the term Adonai, which is Lord. They thought that's how it goes. And do you know the name we got? Jehovah. Jehovah is kind of a nickname for God. It really isn't the literal name of God, but a lot of people thought that was it. And and even today, we think of uh, Jehovah's Witnesses who go out and use the name Jehovah. But probably a better term would be Yahweh. Um, there was a man, 1520, I read, by the name of Galatinus. And uh, he forgot the fact that it was Adonai combined with those letters in the Hebrew. And so he just said, well, the name of God is Jehovah, and that's where we got that. And it's way back in the 1500s that that's come. And today we see and we understand that that's probably not true. But God has a name. Uh, It's important for us to realize that. It's spelled out, doesn't sound like the Hebrew at all, L-O-R-D in your Old Testament. And uh, that is used probably about 5,200 times in the Old Testament, and it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So differentiate between that and capital L, lowercase o-r-d, which is Adonai, and you're all going, we really don't care about that. But that's okay. You're going to get it. And uh, we're going to understand it because we don't remember all of those Hebrew terms and those uh, Greek terms, but we just need to understand that this is the name for God and uh, understand a little more what what it means. Back in the book of Hosea, Chapter 12, don't worry about turning there. I just want to read this verse for you to show that there is a name. It says, even the Lord, that's the one for Yahweh, even the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his name. 
So in the Bible, it comes right out and says that's his name. The first time that that term is used is in Genesis chapter 2. And uh, I believe it's in the fourth verse. It says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the... And it puts the two terms together. The Lord God made heaven and earth. And so that's the first time we use it. But it isn't really explained until we get into... Uh, the book of Exodus in the third chapter. And so that's where we're going to be going today. And I want to begin by reading to you um, Genesis chapter 2. Or no, we want to get over to Exodus. Exodus chapter 2, and beginning in the 23rd verse, and I'm going to read down through the 15th verse of chapter 3 of Exodus. This is an interesting uh, <laughs> Interaction between Moses and God as God comes to Moses. Verse 23, Exodus chapter 2, it says, Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. And so God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. Now Moses was pasturing a flock, the flock of his father Jethro. Actually, let me start. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, and yet the bush was not consumed. And so Moses said, I must turn aside now and see the marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burned up? And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham and Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. And so I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and a spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now. And I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly. And he said, Certainly, I will be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the, children, the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God in this mountain. And Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, Well, what is his name? 
what shall we say to what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you to sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Jacob, and the God of or the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial name to all generations. Let's pray, shall we? Father, as we come to this passage this morning, it is such a, an amazing passage looking at the fact that you were concerned about the people of Israel. They were hurting, Father. They were going through a serious, difficult time. They needed your support. They needed you to be there for them, and you were. You heard their moaning. You heard their groaning. You were aware of their sighing, Father, and the difficult situations they were going through. And you came to Moses, and he was your chosen man. But, Father, we realize even Moses was a little bit tentative. He he wasn't anxious to go back to Egypt, and yet you had called him, and you gave him your name. You said, I am who I am. I am has sent you the great I am, the verb to be, the eternally existing one. And Father, as we go through this the next two weeks, I pray that you would help us to understand who you are just a little bit better, Father, to have a, a better understanding of who you are and how you relate to us as well. Thank you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I, I thought about the Israelites and the difficulties that they were going through. This was a nation that God had established. He'd come to a man by the name of Abraham, and he said, I want you to move to this land. From Ur of the Chaldees, I'm going to take you to the land that I'm going to give to your descendants. And Abraham went, and... He established his family there, and he had one son. That's, a, that's not a lot of people. You know, when you think of the fact that God said, Abraham, I want you to go out and look at the sky, and you see, count as many stars as you can. It's not like the sky around here where you see a few stars. It's like when you go up to Tahoe or someplace else, and there's no light, and you look up there, and there are myriads of sky, stars. He says, as many as you can count. He says, your descendants are going to be greater than that. See the, see the sand on the seashore? It says, if you could count all of the sand, your descendants are going to be greater than that. What I want you to realize, Abraham, is I'm going to make you the father of not only one nation, but many nations, and, and, and you're going to be the father of a great nation. And it was amazing, and he had one son. Isaac, in turn, had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn, Jacob was the secondborn, but God chose Jacob through whom he would bring about the line, and Jacob had 12 sons, and, and one of them was named Joseph. Joseph, because of the fact his father loved him so much, was hated by his brothers, and so we know that they took him, they were going to kill him, and then uh, the oldest brother said, oh, let's not do that, and they threw him in a pit, and they sold him to some Midianites traders, and they took him to Egypt, and he was sold into slavery. And we think that's a devastating thing. How would you like your brothers to do that to you? But God had a plan for Joseph. 
and he had a plan for the nation of Israel, and he was working out his plan. And so Joseph came to be the second most powerful individual in all of Egypt. There was a great famine, and because of this famine, Joseph was raised to that position, and God used Joseph to bring his father and all of his brothers to Egypt where they would be saved. They would be preserved because of the grain that was there. And it was part of God's plan, and we're told there were about 70 people that came with that first wave of individuals that came in from Abraham's descendants. Uh, Insignificant, really. But they were there for a period of time, and as we go to Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, it says, It came about in the course of those many days the king of Egypt died. In other words, those that knew Joseph and his power and his authority and where he fit into the nation of Israel, he died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage they cried out. And their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. What this king did was he looked and he saw this nation of Israel and it was growing. It was getting bigger and more powerful. And and, and what if uh, an enemy came in and Israel sided with them? Or what if Israel got so big that they just took over Egypt? And so this new king, not really knowing where the Israelites had come from, put them into bondage. And we know that they were used to build some of the most the most beautiful and the large cities in Egypt. They were slaves, but they were in bondage, and it was a hard time. It was a difficult time, and they began to cry out to God. It says they sighed because of the bondage. And that that sighing had to do, as I was looking at it, with just an, an inward feeling of loss, just hopelessness. Maybe sometimes you felt that way. Maybe you haven't said anything to anybody yet, but you just you just feel like, what's the use? And that's kind of where the Israelites were. And then it says they cried out. That's a verbal cry, and they cried their cry for help because of their bondage, and it rose up to God, and God heard it. And this was a, a verbal cry. Now, I don't know whether they cried to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob or not. I don't know if they even remembered him very well. I have an idea that in 400 years, because that's how long they were there, they had probably forgotten a lot about the God of their fathers. Uh, I'm sure there were some that remembered there was a remnant, but many of the others probably were worshiping the gods of the Egyptians. (laughs) Gods without any power, gods without any authority, but people had created them in their minds and their thoughts and their ideas. Well, the sun, he must be a god, and the river must be a god, and And so I would imagine that their worship really wasn't very strong anymore. But they cried out and God heard them because God still loved them. Uh, He's a covenant God. He had made a covenant with Abraham and he would follow through. And I, I thought about that and how devastating it was for them. And why does God allow his people to go through something like that. Uh, people have written books on why, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people. You ever read a book like that or seen a book like that? They're out there. Why does God allow that for people? I think one of the primary reasons is to get our attention. You see, if, if the Israelites had not come into bondage, 
if they had not been made slaves, they probably would have been happy just staying in Egypt. Why move? I mean, this is great. We like the status quo. We have plenty to eat. We have a good place to sleep. We are comfortable. And so if there's going to be a change, sometimes we have to slip to the bottom. If we're really going to turn and we're going to look at God and we're going to see God who, for who he is, he, he has to allow us to get down there to get our attention and uh, so that we'll stop and we'll look at him and we'll get an idea of who he is and how much he cares about us. That's really what had happened to the Israelites. There were millions of them now. And, and yet they were in a position that was unacceptable. We, uh, we've been going through a series. We finished it this last Thursday on how to share your faith without fear. It's been exciting as some of the men there have gone out and they've been sharing and seeing people uh, respond in, in different ways and positive ways and, and even an individual coming to know the Lord. And uh, So it's exciting to see that. But Bill Fay, who is the founder of the one who has established this program for sharing, um, he shared his testimony on, on the video this last week. And he talked about how as a boy, his, his dad was in a position of prominence, but by the time he died, Bill Fay was about 15. His dad was penniless. He had nothing left over. His mother had nothing. He was actually the founder of Bird's Eye Foods, and uh, everything was gone. And so Bill said, I'm never going to allow that to happen to me, and he set out to become a, a, an amazing success. And in college, he, he said he learned uh, all kinds of card tricks so that he could cheat people out of their money and uh, became very good at gambling. And as time went on, he started a business, and then he got involved with the gangs, uh, major gangs, and he became a money launderer for them. And in time, he set up this huge place of prostitution. And he said he was rich. He was driving around and uh, chauffeured around in limousines, and he had guards, and he said it was amazing. Life was great in terms of what the world would want if they're looking for things and stuff and power. And then the uh, government put a sting on him. And he was arrested. And ultimately they took him and he was going to be tried and he was told that he was going to spend 12 to 15 years, something like that, in jail. I forget exactly what it was. And one morning he was sitting at a table his wife was there everything was gone all that he had had all that was important to him was gone he thought well I can start another business but he was going to go to jail and he said I don't want to go to jail and and he thought well I could take my life but he really didn't want to die and, and he thought well I could I could go to drugs and alcohol but <laughs> that's only going to make matters worse I can run. I've got some money. <laughs> but God shut up the doors, and he didn't get to go. And so his wife was there, and neither one of them are Christians, but she said, you remember where we were married, that little place up there in the mountains? Why don't you go up there and talk to the man that's up there, the pastor? And so Bill Fay got in his car, and he drove up into the mountains, and he found that man that was there. And the man shared Jesus Christ. He said it was just a little church. It wasn't a plush church. It had old wooden benches and the floor was wooden with cracks. And 
and a puddle of my tears. And God changed his life. But what I want you to understand about this is that as with the Israelites, we oftentimes have to hit rock bottom before we begin to look up. And we wonder sometimes, why don't people just turn their lives over to Jesus Christ? Because they're not there yet. You see, that's where they have to be. They have to realize he's the only hope. He's the only one, and that's where the Israelites were, and they were crying out. If, if, if that hadn't been the case, they probably wouldn't have gone any place. They would have been happy with their status quo. A number of years ago, I was sharing the questions that we have from sharing without faith, and I was speaking to a woman, and I asked her about her spiritual beliefs, and she said she didn't have very many. I asked who Jesus was and if she believed in heaven and hell, and she said she did. I said, where are you going to go when you die? And she said, well, heaven, I hope. I think I'm a pretty good person. And I said, if you were wrong, would you want to know? And she said, no, not really. I said, well, why not? Well, I like it the way it is right now. And if I was wrong, I, I, I might have to change. And, and besides that, I like surprises. I want to be surprised. That's kind of like the person that goes over to the, uh, the person that is uh, a travel agent, and, and they sit down and say, I want to go on a great vacation. Can you find me a place with sun and sand? And they're thinking of Hawaii, and then they get the ticket, and they end up either in the outback of Australia or the Sahara Desert. They got just what they asked for. They were surprised. And that's kind of how it is with people today if they don't turn to Jesus Christ. They may be a little bit surprised. In fact, they're not going to like the surprise very much when they get it. The Israelis had been in bondage. They had been in bondage for quite some time. And uh, if Moses or things had con continued on the way they were with Joseph, they probably would have been happy. But they were slaves, and they were driven, and they were beaten, and it was not a good thing. But you see, God had a better plan, because God is a covenant God, and that's what we're going to see next week when we get into the issue of the I Am, the God of the Father, their father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he said, I've got a land for you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a beautiful land. But for them to accept God's blessing, they first had to experience the devastation that they were going through. And it says that they were groaning and they were crying out to God. And it's not a surprise to me that they were groaning or, groaning or crying out to God. Have you ever gone through a period in your life where you're kind of like this in, in Exodus chapter 2? And you go, why God? Why is this happening to me? I don't know about you. Maybe you've never gone, been there, but I've certainly been there. Why is this working out the way it is, God? I, I'm not surprised that they were groaning and sighing and complaining. I think the thing that really surprises me, though, is that God responded. And I want you to, to look at this because it's interesting as we look at chapter 20 or verse 23 and 24 of Exodus 2 again. It says, now it came about in the course of the, those many days that the king of Israel died the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage. They cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage 
rose up to God. He heard it. He is aware of what's going on. It says, so God heard their groaning. Even today, God's aware of everything that we say and everything we do. And when we feel down and we feel like we're hurting, you know, I, I looked at that word up this morning, just this morning, looking to see what it says. And it's the idea that God is aware. God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God was a covenant God. He sat down with Abraham and he said, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. I'm going to make this covenant with you. And then he did just exactly what they needed to do. He brought a young bull and a young goat and some turtle doves. He laid them down, made a path between. And what they would do is they would light them on fire and then would walk through together holding hands, which says, if either of us breaks the covenant, may, <laughs> may what happened to these animals be done to us. But in that covenant, when God established it with Abraham, he put Abraham to sleep. And he alone walked through, being the one who would keep the covenant. We have a covenant God. And if you read the Bible, and there are promises that you find from God, God never goes back on it. I, I think of the covenant God made with Israel. It's not fully completed. God laid out what the land was going to be. They haven't had all that land yet. God's promise isn't finished. His time with Israel isn't finished. But it's coming. And we need to realize that. And just as I believe that God will keep his promises to Israel, so he will keep his promises to us. It says, he heard, he remembered. Goes on in verse 24, so God heard their groaning and God remembered the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and God saw, he was aware of the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. Uh, the idea is that he knew them. He heard, he remembers, he sees, he knows. And he's a God who cares, and he's a God who loves us. And in essence, what those verbs say is that God will do something about the pain that's going on in a person's life, when they take time to call out to him. I, I don't know what you're going through. I don't need to know what you feel and what your emotions are. God created us as emotional people. But God sees you and he hears you and he knows what's going on in your heart and life today just as he knew what was going on with the Israelites. Some of you are lonely. You feel loneliness. Some of you have some self-esteem issues that may have come from your childhood. That's a good possibility. Some of you are struggling in relationships. Some of you have struggled in relationships, and it's left... Scars. Some of you are struggling with your finances and how you're going to make the bills tomorrow. I can say that because in a group this size, I know there are those kinds of issues. I know that at times we've gone through some of those. I've gone through some of those. And yet we have a God who hears and a God who knows and he understands what you're going through. 
and he is the one who has the ability to meet the needs and cares for us. He responds. He reveals who he is to us, and that's what we're going to see a little further on as we get down. But let me take you uh, to verse 1 and 2 here in Exodus chapter 3. It says, Moses, we, we changed the situation because God's getting ready to meet the needs. And now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. It wasn't even Moses' flock. Moses, if you remember, was raised in Egypt. His mother uh, took him out and put him in the bulrushes because if the Egyptians found him, they were going to kill him and they were going to wipe him out. But according to God's providence, as he was out there in the bulrushes, Pharaoh's daughter comes along and said, Oh, baby, I think I'll take it home. He's an Israeli. Let's find a nurse. Uh, Moses' sister Miriam ran up and said, I can take him to, his, to my mother. <laughs> and she said, okay. And so his mother had him for the first years of his life until he was weaned. And then he went and he was raised in the courts of Pharaoh. He was raised in the palace. He had the best education. Everything was perfect. But when he got to be about 40, he went out to his own people. There was that birth issue. And he saw one of the slave drivers beating one of the Israelis, and he killed him. And when it became known, Moses ran. And so here was this one who was raised in the place of opulence. He was raised in the palace, and, and he ran to the backside of the desert. Forty years of age, 40 years had passed. Probably very few people remembered him in Egypt anymore. I, I doubt that that was the case, but... It says he was pasturing a flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. It wasn't his flock. It was his, his father-in-law's. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to the Horeb, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire in the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire. And yet the bush was not consumed. Kind of humorous, not much happens in the desert. <laughs> I would imagine it was kind of boring, and all of a sudden here was Moses, and he sees this bush, and he's got to go over and check it out. You know, it, it's amazing what um, people try to do with the Bible. Have you ever noticed how we try to rationalize out how things happen and what they happen? I remember when I first moved down here from Oregon, there was a, 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 a channel that was always telling you about the Bible. But I watched it a few times, and I realized they didn't know very much about the Bible because they were always trying to justify and rationalize away anything that was supernatural. For instance, the three Hebrew boys that were in the fire, they talked about the oven there, and you would go inside, and there was a little room back up inside of the oven that was here, and that's where they went. They must have gone up there and hidden while the fire was on and come down after it was out. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the guards that threw him in died. They got so close. And the one who was watching Pharaoh looked in there, and they were walking around. And there was a fourth with them. We try and rationalize it away. Uh, the bush. I, I've read stories of how, well, there is a bush in the Middle East that it has a lot of grease, and, and it, can, it can come on fire, but it's as if nothing burns except that grease. And, and so it's as if the bush isn't burning. I have a tendency to believe that God created a bush and he created it to burn supernaturally. If he created it all, he can certainly do that. And it was a bush that was burning without being consumed. It caught Moses' attention. 
I'm not sure why we try to rationalize away everything that supernatural or people do what's in the Bible because it doesn't work very well when they do it. And he appeared to him in the blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire and yet the bush was not consumed. In verse 3 it says, So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. And it was here that God began to relate the concerns of his people. It goes on in verse 4, and it says, God saw that he had turned aside to look, and God called him from the midst of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. Here I am. And then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your Father, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. In essence, he says, I am the covenant God. I made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them that they would have a land that was flowing with milk and honey. Moses hid his face and was afraid. Now I want you to look at verse 7. It says, the Lord God said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. We have a God who sees. We have a God who heeds our cries. He says, I've given heed. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I'm aware of their sufferings. And so I've come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and a spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that's better for them, to a land that's a place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite, got to get that right, the Hivite and the Jebusite. I always want to add that parasite in there. I'm not sure why. (laughs) Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression of the Egyptians, which the Egyptians are oppressing them. He remembered his covenant. He's seen their affliction. He's aware of it. Kind of has the idea that he's empathetic with what they're going through. God sees, he hears, he knows what's going on right now. As with the Israelites, he knows what it was like when they first went to Egypt. And with us, he knows what we went through yesterday. He knows the experiences that you've had. I had a lady call me on Friday. She said, could you come over? We're having a celebration of life. My sister just died recently, and the family's going to be there. Would you come and pray? And I went over and just set a time, a few minutes with them. I, I blessed the food. I... Ask God's blessing on the family. I, I don't know the spiritual condition of the sister, and we can't pray for them once they're gone. Placed her in God's hands. But that was there yesterday. And today there was grief. There was loss. We experience those kinds of things. But you know what? God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. God's aware of our yesterdays, our todays, 
and our tomorrows. And he was aware of where the Israelites were. He was aware of the fact that he was going to bring them out. And he was going to use Moses to do it. And he made two promises here. Listen to verse 8. So I will come down and deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and bring them to a land that is good and spacious, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Moses, there's no, no question. This is going to happen. I'm going to come down. I'm going to deliver them from here, and I'm going to take them here. That's the first promise. Do you know it says in, in Colossians chapter one, or 1, verse 13, it said he delivered us from the domain of darkness. That's the same thing. It, it, it's the idea that God in his strong hand reached down and he delivered us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And I always love the picture of that because that's what God did for me. He took me out of where I was and delivered me to where I needed to be and where I will be from this day forth. But it's only as I put my faith and my trust in him. And that's what he said I'm going to do for the Israelite people. He says, I'm, I've come down and I'm going to deliver them from the Egyptians where they're under bondage, they're sighing, they're crying out, their life is all but lost, and I'm going to give them something so much better. God made a promise. He said, I will deliver them. And then in verse 12, as we go down, it says, certainly I will be with you. This shall be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, after it's happened, you shall worship God at this mountain. Moses you're going to go face Pharaoh as my representative on behalf of the Israelites, but I'm going to be with you. God says, whatever you're going through today, I'm with you. I'm going to be with you. Do you trust me? Do you believe I'll meet your needs? Do you know that I'm going to care for you no matter what you're going through? Are you hanging on to something you ought to let go of and let God take care of for you? What is it today? He says, Moses, you're going to face a difficult task. You're going to go up to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the known world at that time, and you're going to tell him to release the children of Israel, and Pharaoh's going to say no. And he says, I'm going to prove my power. Later on, he says, I'm going to give you tw ten plagues. Do you know what those plagues did? Every one of them attacked the God of the Egyptians. Each and every one of them. Because God's so much powerful than what we put our trust and our faith in. And he says, I want you to put your trust and your faith in me. Next week, as we get into it, Moses really doesn't want to go. I mean, he, he feels that this isn't a good thing. I, I, I ran from there 40 years ago because they wanted to kill me. And, man, what if they remember me? And, and this, isn't, this isn't good. And I don't think I can speak very well. And he had all these excuses. And God said, but Moses, I'll be with you. You ask his name next week, we're going to get into that because it talks about the fact that he's the covenant God. He's a God that never forgets his promises. He's the God that's always here. I am that I am. It simply says that I was and I am and I will be. We take it in the per third person and we talk about it and that's the way it comes in Yahweh. It's he will be. He will be the ever-present God the all-powerful God, the sovereign God, 
So who have you put your faith in today? What are you putting your faith in today? Is it the God who hears, the God who knows, the God who understands, the God who has the power to meet our needs, or is it something else, something in this world? It's like Bill Fay, the money, the power. All the things that he thought would bring him happiness, and all they did was bring him down to the very depths of his life to where all they could do was look up and see God. Where are you today? Are you close to the bottom? Are you getting there? You need to look up? God's there for you. He cares about you. It says he hears our groaning. He is aware of our sighing. And he knows us. And he knows everything going on in our lives. And so I would encourage you to just think about where you are with this God. This covenant God. We're going to get into his name more next week. We didn't have time to really do that this week. But we're going to get into it. And we're going to talk about Yahweh. And what that means to us. So it's a two-parter. I want you to come back. I want you to get in. They do that on TV to me. They do it on NCIS. I get so angry. Don't get angry at me. But come back. And we're going to talk about a God who cares. And a God who loves you. And if you're feeling down there today, you know, I'm glad to talk to you. And we can look at the Bible and we can pray together. I think that's important. And that you find that you can trust God to meet those needs of your life. Let's pray, shall we? Father, wow. What an amazing message. Because we, uh, we have things in our life I'm sure we're not happy with, things that we'd like to see changed. Maybe it has to do with self-esteem. Maybe there's an anger or bitterness that dwells in us that we can't let go of and we don't want to let go of. <laughs> Maybe we just like the status quo. We kind of wallow around where we are. Father, forgive us when we don't put our focus and our trust in you because you're the only one that can meet the needs of our lives, Father. You're the only one that has the power to do that. And so we just commit ourselves, Father, to you today. I, I pray for each individual here. Some have, boy, they are just right with you. They're doing well and their lives are where they need to be and they find their joy and their trust and their faith in, in their relationship with you. And there are probably others somehow have missed that. I don't know their lives. I don't know where they are, but you do, Father. You hear, you see. That's what you said in this passage. You're aware of who we are and where we are. And Father, if there are those who need to make that commitment, they need to make that turn, I pray that today would be the day. I pray that today they would say, okay, Lord, I just want to put my life in your hands. And I want you to carry me from that place of bondage, whatever the bondage is. It may be a habit. It may be an attitude. It may be an emotion. It, it may be the attitude of others that are controlling me. And I want you to give me the freedom of that land that is the good land, the one of milk and honey, the spacious land, the beautiful land, the perfect place for my life. Help me to find that in you, Father. I pray that if there's someone that needs to do that, you would help them to do that this morning. Thank you, Father, for this passage. Thank you for uh, what took place with Moses and what took place with Israel. Help us to understand it. 
And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.